Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I'm very pleased to announce that The Animated Journey is now expanding. We now have a new member on the team, Jeff Sutsi. Jeff, say a few words. Woo! Yeah! Hey! Well, I'm very pleased to be here. You know, I've been a fan of Animated Journey for a long time, so... I love being able to help out. Plus, editing is super fun for me, so thanks for bringing me on. Glad to have you, and very glad to have you editing the podcast, because that is no small feat. It takes a while to get every episode out to all of you guys, as I'm sure all of you are aware, so very happy to have you on the team and have you in the intro talking about animation and different events going on. And I have to say, you guys, a lot of things have been going on in the industry. First up, we're now post-convention. All of the conventions are now done. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Ah, CTNX. Yeah, like Designer Con, CTNX, everything else going on for everybody who attended those conventions. I've heard your stories. I know that you guys had a really good time. If you're thinking about exhibiting right now is the time to get your applications in. Don't wait. If you want to exhibit at DesignerCon or CTNX, check out their websites, fill out those forms, start planning whatever sketchbooks, comics, enamel pins, illustrations, amazing displays you're going to have because it's better to start now rather than later. Same goes for Fan Alley Expo. They are now accepting applications for their big convention that they're going to be having in Anaheim next summer. So check that out right now. And also, if you are an industry professional, now is your time to register to get your badge for WonderCon and Comic-Con. So make sure to fill out all the necessary paperwork for that so that you can save some money and go to those conventions for free. Jeff, are you going to any conventions next year? Uh, Well, I'll be exhibiting at San Diego Comic-Con again. And that's a good tip to get into it right now because I was too late last year to get into WonderCon and stuff because I just waited too long. But right now, San Diego is the only one I'm confirmed for. But I'm thinking about doing CTNX. All right. Maybe DesignerCon. You said that's a good con. I think you should do DesignerCon. One, the tables cost a lot less. Mm -hmm. Two, there's a lot of breathing room. So there's a good amount of foot traffic. But there's still a lot of people that come in so you'll actually be able to have a good conversation without being too crowded. And three, along with your comic, you also sell t-shirts and Mm -hmm. prints. And DesignerCon is really good for people that have things like that. So if you have not only artwork, but also enamel pins or plushies or keychains or any type of thing that people would want to display in their home or in their office, it's a really good convention for that. Good to know. I've been thinking about doing some plushies and, uh, Some enamel pins, actually. So if I can get it together before next year or by next year, I'll do it. So now you have a plan. Yes. So that's very good. And speaking, well, there's really no other way to segue into this, so we'll just talk about (laughs) it. So the news, as everyone is aware, and all of you should be aware, a lot is going on in the entertainment industry in terms of harassment, harassment claims, Mm -hmm. people being fired. All of you listening to my show know all about Chris Savino and all that went down at Nickelodeon with that. And this past week, John Lasseter, Mr. Pixar himself, 
allegations came to light of him harassing multiple people over the past 10 years or more. And he has now taken a six month leave of absence from both Disney and Pixar. I know that this is definitely a blow to people that really like Pixar, really like Mm -hmm. Disney movies. But the thing that really resonated with me was that the company knew about this. Right. And there was an entire whisper network and an entire group of people that knew this was going on, but it took until now for anything to happen mm-hmm. with that. So that's what are your so on disappointing. That? That's what I heard too, that it was an open secret mm-hmm. that all these people knew about it and it's taken so long for anything to happen. I'm also not sure how I feel about the six month kind of pause. And then he's going to come back. I wonder if that's going to take. I wonder too. I honestly believe that he's going to end up being let go. I think I have, so too. I have a hard time believing that Disney and Pixar would actually let him mm-hmm. back in because I feel like that would be, you know, on a business level, that would be very damaging to their brand. Yes. And then just on a human decency level, mm-hmm. allowing someone to come back in who for years has been harassing women is not a good thing. And I have a hard time believing that they'd be able to spin that in a positive way of saying, hey, you know, we're well known for making these wonderful family films. And by the way, the guy that's in charge of everything is harassing women. Right. But you guys are cool with that, right? That's hard to square. <laughs> yeah, but... like you're not going to be able to square that no. with anybody. So I, yeah. I, I think their plan <laughs> is... Let's see how it goes after six months. I think they're hoping it's going to blow over, but I don't think it will. I don't think it will, and I really hope it doesn't. Right. And, Me neither. You know, and I say this having, you know, having interned at Pixar, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good people at both Pixar and Disney. We know a lot of people that work there. They're very good friends. Mm-hmm. But the only way for change to happen is to make really tough decisions and to weed out people that are not treating people well. And there's, there's plenty of people out there that are not only doing excellent work, but also treat women and men and gays and lesbians and transgendered people and minorities and everyone else with the utmost respect. And those yes. are the people that we should uplift. And as one of my supervisors said, there are 7 billion people in this world. Right. There's going to be, there's another person out there yes. that would be able to do a really excellent job. Mm-hmm. And take good care of people. So, and they, yeah. there's so many women and minorities that could step into that role and really mm-hmm. make a difference there, I think. And like you said, there's a lot of good people there. You don't want this to taint their films coming out. And right. it sounds like Coco is having a good opening weekend. So mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like it affected that opening. So hopefully, in the, you know, as more films come out, it's not going to taint the studio. But yes, let's get someone in there who's progressive and, you know, doesn't have all this baggage. I completely agree with that. And there are a lot of good people out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that they will. And as I mean, every week you hear about more and more people going down. So I don't think this is going to die down. Nor should it. And it's in every industry, too. Absolutely. It's in every single I've heard stories and have had to report people on other jobs I've worked at Mm -hmm. outside of animation. So this isn't just an entertainment thing. And it's not just a government thing. This is a people issue. Yes. So the more people that speak up, but also the more people that believe those people Mm -hmm. and listen to those people and the more things that are put in place so that 
people know that they have that voice Mm -hmm. and they know that they can trust their supervisors or they can trust the company and that the company's not going to ignore them or retaliate against them or fire them over this, the better off everybody is going to be. Yeah, that's so important that people feel okay to come out about this stuff. Absolutely. And so another segue that's not really a segue, but... Movies and TV. Have you watched anything interesting lately or anything new? I've been watching on Crunchyroll Recovery of an MMO Addict. (laughs) That sounds very appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. It's pretty good. It's about this woman who is an addict playing MMOs. And she is playing with a male avatar and kind of falls for this person with a female avatar i don't want to get into spoilers but it gets really complicated when real life kind of mixes with the online life and so far i'm really digging it i think i'm four or five episodes in and yeah i like it that sounds good it also sounds totally anime like yes. as you're descri- i don't even know what the show looks like <laughs> but as you're describing it i'm just picturing it in my head like yeah i think i could see how this is going and what the dialogue is like i think whatever's <laughs> in your head is exactly what <laughs> it's exactly what's yes. going on yep that's fantastic yeah what have you been watching i saw the hey arnold movie hey arnold oh, the jungle movie cool, cool. They screen- how was it? it was great they screened it at our studio four times and I got to go twice and it was really good and got to meet a lot of the folks that worked on the crew had an opportunity to talk to Craig and it's just a beautiful movie it's very well animated for everyone out there who's an Hey Arnold fan who's been wondering for the past 15 years what happened to his parents are his parents alive is Helga going to confess her love to Arnold again Is Gerald going to continue to be amazing? Is Phoebe going to continue to rock? What's going to happen to everyone in their town and their city? It answers all your questions in a way that I really appreciated, especially as an adult. Yeah, because that show came out when I was a kid. It was fun watching it when I was a young person. And but it's interesting, though, because as a kid, I just thought, oh, this is just super fun and super interesting. But then when you watch the show as an adult, Especially I've been going back and watching some of the older episodes, you realize, Mm -hmm. oh, this is very touching and sad and poignant in a way that a lot of cartoons were not at the time. And so... That you can appreciate as an adult. You appreciate as an adult. you didn't really notice as a kid. Yeah, like there's things like, one of the biggest things I noticed was that Helga's mom is definitely an alcoholic, which I did really? not, which I did not catch as oh, a child. I did child. not know that. Either. And you watch this now, and you're like, "Oh, she is, she is suffering in her own way." Oh wow! So there's I'm just, gonna go back and watch this. Yeah. With this so new there's things, there's things that you pick up from the original series that yeah. you're not necessarily gonna pick up when you're, you know, 10, 12, 14, 15 years old, and the movie just encapsulates everything and it brings everybody together and it just does it in a really interesting way so it already premiered this past friday but i'm sure that nickelodeon will be re-airing it and i'm sure it'll be available on dvd so when all that happens make sure to check that out and also i watched season four of bojack horseman nice okay it continues to be great yeah it is that is a solid show that is a very well written show and you continue to feel bad for Bojack. In spite of all of his poor life choices, you still feel for the guy because you're just looking at him going, 
please, please make a good choice. Please. No, don't do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have not caught up on that show yet. Mm-hmm. We went to the screening mm-hmm. for, was it the premiere of season four? Anyway. Oh, and it was it was for the premiere of season four. They had, a, to give you all some backstory, so Raphael, Bob Waxberg, and Will Arnett, and mm-hmm. I believe it was one of the reporters for either Variety or Hollywood Reporter. Sorry, I don't remember which publication. Mm-hmm. But they gave a really good talk about what was coming up. And Will Arnett mentioned feeling really sad about yeah. what was going on and needing to go to therapy and right. have some discussions about it. <laughs> and it was hilarious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I meant to go back and watch the whole thing, but I still haven't. I just got caught up on Rick and Morty. Ah, see, I've never seen that. And oh, I've heard so it's great. So good. Yes, yeah, so good. But yeah, so haven't had time to get back into BoJack, but you're saying it's solid. It is solid. It okay. continues to be solid. It's just an excellent show. And cool. I really like the designs. Lisa Hannah Walsh, just the designs are very mm-hmm. interesting to me. And it's very inspiring to me just to see which animal characters they choose. And there's just a lot of diversity and there's a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of mm. different kinds of animals. Yeah. And and it's, it's a fun show to watch too, living in LA, because you see some of this and you're like, yeah, I, I know what they're parodying here. I get what's going on. There's a lot of having worked in reality television. There's a lot of stuff where you're going, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. All right. Moving it. I'm going to move it to the top of my list. Move for to the top moving. of the list. Yes. Yeah. But, watching. but I realize there's a lot of, there's just a lot of shows. Yeah. And it's, it's good. It's good that there's a lot of movies and there's yes. a lot of shows, but it's hard to watch everything when you're also trying to create. Cause I know yes. you're doing that's, your freelance work mm-hmm. and your comic and conventions right. and it's, there's yeah, well, you know how it is. I'm trying to watch at least a few episodes of everything, just so, you know, when people are having conversations, I know what they're talking about. I just watched the first two episodes of, I think it's called Big Mouth. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one was pretty good. And it's so important to know what is going on in current animation. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But too much. Too, my watch list is so long. I don't know what to do with it. Well, that's yeah. the that's the toughest thing. I found that once you're in the industry, the amount that you actually watch yeah. animation or mm-hmm. live action or movies just drops. Right. <laughs> Which is bizarre because you would think, oh, once you're in it, you can watch stuff all the time. No, once you're in it, you are working. Yeah. You are working <laughs> long hours, and the only show. For the first, I would say, the first eight months of working, the only show that I watched was our show. Right. Because I didn't have time to watch anything else. I was just trying to figure out how everything worked. And it's only been within the past two months where I've been able to actually, okay, I can crawl (laughs) out of the cave and see what other movies and television shows. Especially because your friends will be watching on, you know, working on other shows. And you think, oh, their show sounds cool. I don't have any time to watch what they're no, doing. Sorry, <laughs> give don't, me the highlights. Give yeah, me the don't shows take it personally. I can watch. Right? Yeah, yeah. The new Star Wars. Uh, what is it? Oh, the last Rebels. Jedi. Or are you talking about Rebels? Rebels. Okay. Yeah, it just you know the new season started, and I just got finished watching the end of the last season. So yeah, I need to get working on that. And, yeah. yeah, I feel like too much. Star Wars is a never-ending thing, though. Yeah, it's like. You will never get caught up in no, Star Wars. No, there's so much Star Wars they... content. There's a video game, there's mm-hmm. animation, the new movies. It's just, yeah, too hard yeah. to keep up. 
Yeah. We don't want them to stop. It's not like... No, I love Star Wars. No, but it's it's funny. I was thinking the other day, it's like, okay, if all of entertainment just stopped for a year, maybe I could get caught up. And I thought, but then no one would have work and it'd be really sad. That'd be sad. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you what is not sad is today's interview, because today's interview is with Anthony Gardia, which is the very first interview that you edited. So, what did you think about Anthony? I thought it was a really interesting interview. I think... We're all kind of thinking about, you know, as we're thinking about freelance projects and what we can do with them and pitching and all that stuff. His path is doing his own film, which is so hard. Mm -hmm. And actually self-funding and crowdfunding, all that stuff I've been thinking about for my own projects. And I think this is a real look at not only the pros, but also the cons. Absolutely. And that's something that I don't think people think about. They just think, I'm going to make a movie. Yeah. But there's also, especially like you said, mm-hmm. if you're doing it on your own, you are your own distributor. Yes. You are your own marketing team. Right. You are the one hiring and potentially firing or mm-hmm. releasing people yeah. that are working on your show. You have to, It's you and your team and that's it. You don't yeah. have a Disney or a DreamWorks or a Pixar or a Nickelodeon backing Right. your project so and that can be yeah. awesome and like mm-hmm. yes i'm doing this you know my whole vision i don't have to answer it to anyone but it's also yeah you don't have that backing you don't have that support you don't have that reach mm-hmm. so you don't know if it's always going to turn out but this is true yeah yeah you don't have that safety net but on the other hand you don't have to be a four quadrant film that yes. is, that works for everybody under the sun which is getting increasingly more and more And more difficult. And you don't have to deal with, well, they're giving me a $250 budget, so this can't suck. It's like, no, no, it's just whatever you're working with. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the test audiences. You don't have to worry about, you know, you can stick to your vision. Yeah, and not to, you know, I don't want to get too much into the interview, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you can have something go viral on Reddit, and that still might not be enough. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be a really interesting interview for anyone who is thinking about producing something on their own i agree so with that we're happy to present episode 59 interview with anthony gardia so were you born in okinawa or were you born here in the states yeah i was actually born in orange county and at one we moved out so i've had had this weird love affair with california where i'm always bouncing back and forth very cool and so you said that you moved to japan because of your dad uh, yes, he was stationed there for nine years. So I came back like toward the end of my ninth year. All right. So since you had an opportunity as a kid to grow up in two different countries, what were some of your artistic influences? Like what were some of the things that looking back, you realize, oh, this really inspired me as a kid? It's kind of weird. I never look back and say like, oh, I wanted to be an artist. I just liked cartoons and I liked video games, you know. When people talk about cartoons, they usually refer to animation, but, you know, cartooning comes in different forms, comic books, video games, whatnot. And I just knew that I liked it. I never really thought of it as a career. And so I don't know if it inspired me because at the time on the military base, we had a lot of American stuff. So I wasn't necessarily searching out Jap. By the way, I came back to the States in 1997 and I was there throughout the 90s. So just to give you an idea. Because a lot of people during that time didn't really have that much exposure to anime here in the States. And I think after coming back, it was my longing to return to what I believed was my home that made me really like 
like anime because while I was there, it wasn't necessarily. I, I liked it, but it was just I took it for granted. That's really interesting because I would have thought that it would be the other way around. Of all you watched was anime all the time, and then you got to the states and just went, "Wait, <laughs> this is what you guys have here? You you haven't seen this other <laughs> show yet, or this is the why is this dub so badly? What's going on?" That's true. So. I, I guess so. I mean, I think it's because it was in Japanese, and I my parents didn't, or I didn't take the initiative to learn. You know, I'm a little kid, so I don't want to watch something I don't understand. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like, and there's just a lot of things happening yeah. <laughs> on screen. Okay. However, we only had one American channel. That was like because of the base. And so when there wasn't cartoons, then I would default to Japanese stuff. And I did remember seeing a lot of uh, Dragon Ball Z years later. And I, and, you know, I remember telling friends, I'm like, oh, I remember this episode. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I couldn't convince them. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't. As a young kid, I think the, the moment I realized I actually wanted to be an artist was... Uh, we were moving from, we are in 29 Palms, and I had found an old Game Pro magazine, and I saw an article about Shigeru Miyamoto, and it was titled The Creator of Super Mario. And that's, you know, when I realized, hey, I can do this for a career. And I knew that I wanted to be a video game designer. Of course, later on, that would change because I liked the narrative in video games and the world they created, so it sort of transitioned into animation, but I've always liked animation anyway, so it wasn't like that hard of a transition. I just... I thought that was a way I wanted to communicate artistically. All right. Very good. So then you move back to the States, you're getting into gaming, you're getting into animation, you're thinking, this is where my life lies. This is going to be my career. So how did you decide to go to the Art Institute of Phoenix? Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So um, actually, I didn't want to, and I didn't think I could do it. So I was going to join the Marines out of high school. Like all of my family didn't want me to do that. They're all threatening to break my arm, so I couldn't join and stuff like that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. What were they wanting you to do instead? Anything. Just. Uh, oh, just anything that yeah. wasn't art? Any, no, no, not art. Uh, the Marines. So I wanted to join. I wanted to be a Marine, and they didn't want me to, you know, come back in a body bag. So. Oh my gosh. So it was actually the opposite. My dad kind of twisted my arm and just like, hey, I'll pay for your college. <laughs> he didn't have the means to pay for it, but he got a, like a, a parent loan. And he's like, do this first, try it out. And then you can make that decision later. And in a lot of ways, I didn't get to choose or discover or like, because I didn't know about CalArts and stuff back then. So I didn't understand how the industry worked or anything like that. It's like, oh, art school. Okay. You know, you got to come out the other end to get a job. I didn't realize it doesn't work that way. Otherwise, I probably would have picked a different school. That's amazing to me. I think your family is one of the few families that I've ever heard that said, no, don't do this other <laughs> career. By all means, please major in art. Oh, like That's not a I thing think, that most parents say. You know what? I would have been, it probably would have been something else. It's just he knew what I liked. So I think he was trying to dangle meat in front of the dog, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's like, you like this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So did you, were you able to glean, I mean, I know that since this wasn't the school that you were super gung-ho about, were you at least able to like glean some good things from oh. it? If nothing else, then okay, I still need to learn X, Y, and Z. Yeah, actually, um, it's here or there, hit or miss. Uh, there's a few instructors that I thought were pretty good, but overall, everyone always says this, it's what you put in, is what you're going to get back. And for me, um, I had a really encouraging 2D animation teacher, and he worked for Don Bluth, and there was kind of like this talk in the air that 2D was coming back with Princess and the Frog and stuff, so I started, like, I really fell in love with that medium, because I wanted to be a 3D animator at first. And I just saw that students I was around weren't the highest caliber, 
And so my stuff wasn't doing so hot. I was doing good enough. And eventually I saw that documentary with Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. Oh, that's a really good documentary. Oh, totally. And I think uh, what seemed to be a magic trick, like looking at animation on screen and being like, I can never do this. I saw, I mean, at this, you know, he's not as peak, obviously, but I saw like an old man talking about what he had done, like animating Alice, whatever. I can't remember exactly what scene. I just remember, you know, him shaving in the mirror. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, this is where I get my ideas. And then for some reason, he became human. Like the curtain got pulled back and I saw, you know, the guy pulling all the levers, pretending to be the wizard. And I was like, I could do this. That's a human being. And he's pretty feeble looking. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> so I was that. like, if this feeble looking guy can do it, I can totally yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm just saying he's like yeah. the master. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, that's just a human being. And that pushed me forward. I think it was like a psychological barrier. And I superseded pretty much my entire class. I just kind of like lived <laughs> at the school. I kind of lost touch because I was just so, you know, nose to the grindstone, trying to perfect my ability to animate and uh, with animation. You have to make a lot of mistakes to learn. I think I achieved being able to sort of kind of animate, in my opinion. They say it takes a decade to make a good animator. So I think I'm slowly getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's right. It's like uh, you're 10,000 hours, roughly 10 years. So (laughs) there you go. So the school I went to didn't have any connections, uh, and I didn't know much about the industry. So I wasn't getting anything, and I kind of got down on myself. And I sort of saw, like, the 2D going away and... 3D wasn't really working for me, and I just happened to fall into this uh, game uh, testing job. And at the time, I was like, all right, I'm out. You know, what What did I else did I want to do? And like, I always wanted to go to Japan. I can gamble and go back to the military thing and maybe end up there, or I can um, teach. So I thought I decided to teach because that's more guaranteed. So I went back to school. I left the job right when I garnered enough money and I was paying for classes, getting my certification. Yeah, the earthquake in Sendai happened. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so, uh, but that Disneyland had this internship where you go work at the park. Yeah, I know a couple of people that did that, actually. I have some, uh, not people I've interviewed for the podcast, but just other friends that they either worked at Disneyland or they worked at Disney World and Epcot for a summer. Oh, okay, cool. So you're you're familiar then? They, they yeah. Know. Okay. Yeah, it's like the uh, it's the Disney College program, I think is what they call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I ended up doing that, and I think for me it was a little difficult because even though there was people there, it wasn't about people who liked animation. It was just people who liked Disney, and mm-hmm. I sort of realized I don't think I belong in the real world. <laughs> so, yeah. <I> <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. This these are my people. These folks are nice, but yeah, we don't have a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, so I decided to um, do that, and that bummed me out. I realized I needed to do art, so I started getting back into it. And at the time I was doing it, I, I heard the SCFA Hollywood podcast. I just kind of got inspired that hearing all the stories. I'm like, well, I guess I need to be in Los Angeles so I can network and find my way, however that turns out. And so I went out there, started doing stuff, started meeting a lot of people, and uh, within about two months I got a job doing storyboarding for a place called Bella Fay Films. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It lasted most of the summer, but when it was over, it kind of dried up, and then nothing was really happening. I started getting bummed out again. (laughs) Long story short, uh, I ended up working with this guy who wanted to start a company. And the first project he paid me, he actually got me uh, an office, and we were going to run the business out of there. But he said he had gotten a client, but 
he was trying to pitch to the client or get a proof of concept is like, Hey, so we're going to need to do this. And then I guess as he was talking, I didn't realize he wanted me to make a proof of concept for him so we can get the client. Oh, so it wasn't that he already had it and he was going to pay you. It's okay. We do this. Then we get the, yeah, then it's you like, get I could do that myself. Kind of <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds shady. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was pretty bad. And it, the thing that was a bummer is that that was paying really well. And at the time I had proposed to my fiance and we were like making plans we're like, Hey, it's going good. You know, get hitched and stuff. But, uh, because of that, uh, it didn't work out. And the thing is, is it to subsidize my living, I would work on the side and then take art jobs. But this one was good, so I just left my job. And after he pulled that stunt, uh, there was nothing for me. And so I had to walk. I'm not going to work for free. That's smart. I'm glad to hear you say that you did that, though, because I know that there are other people in that similar situation who would have just gone ahead and did it. And I think you made the, the wiser choice of you said you were going to pay me. If you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to do it. Because I feel like if at the onset something smells fishy, it's not necessarily going to improve. Yeah, no, it, and I've seen that happen with a bunch of people too, and that's why I walked. But unfortunately, I had no job and I had rent to pay, and I actually moved all my stuff into a storage unit, and I lived out of my car for a while. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it went from like, we're going to get married, we'll save up for the wedding, to like, <laughs> I'm homeless, and God bless my oh. wife, she didn't leave me at the time. Oh yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> that's so sad, yeah, it's, it's like leaving out of your car. I, it was alright, but after it started to work out, I started getting like, you know, little gigs here and there, and I worked restaurant jobs again, so I was able to make income, and we eventually uh, got married. And we moved in together. And then after a while, we just realized that the industry was sort of the way you make money and what we want to do, how much you can make doing something else. I know we just weighed all our options. We're like, why don't we try doing our own thing? And if it doesn't work out, I can become a cop or a firefighter or something, you know, and take care of it that way. We don't have to live in Los Angeles because the moment we stop working, you know, you sink under that like high cost of living. So then, you know, the baby's starting to come along like halfway through this. It was like, okay, that was like the final decision maker. And then so we moved and we're in the middle of our, the pilot or for World Destroyer at the time and just finished up like a, about a month and a half ago, something like that. So that's what happened. And that's, uh, that's where we're at right now. Wow. I have so many questions because that's, that's amazing. For one, I'm very amazed and impressed that y'all stuck with it and he didn't just quit. Because a lot of people, I think, would have just said, you know what, this isn't working, never mind, we're done. <laughs> and you guys didn't do that, so I salute you for that. But I'm, I'm really interested in finding out what type of jobs were you working prior to coming to L.A. and then once you came to L.A. so that you could keep yourself afloat before you started working in the industry? I was coasting off my savings when I first arrived. They found like a, a room being rented out behind a business. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> I know. And it was like the size of a closet. It was actually, I think a lot of people liked it because it was really weird the way it was situated. And I had to like shimmy between a wall and the building. I know it's the weirdest thing. My friends would make fun of me like it was Aladdin. <laughs> like, <laughs> Because <laughs> there was like bushes and you had to push out of the way and stuff. I don't know. It was in Burbank. It wasn't like in a sh like a shady area. I literally barely had enough room for a desk and my mattress that was on the floor. So I had to flip up the mattress to have room to sit oh, down in front man. of my desk. Yeah. So I don't remember how cheap it was. I just remember I lucked out. So since I was single, that, that helped out a lot. 
And then I went to a SIFA Hollywood and I kicked their door and I'm like, hey, who do I need to get in touch with? Like, because I ever heard Anton Manugian was doing his um, uh, film restoration or animation restoration project. And then because mm-hmm. he was the president last time I heard, and when they told me, he's like, no, Frank Gladstone's president now, but maybe we can help, you know, we take volunteers and stuff. So I just, I ended up getting hooked up with them and they sent me off to a lot of cool places. And I got to network, and during one of those, I did the uh, the Annie Awards, and I met the guy who ended up hiring me the first time, uh, and that's when I got my storyboard gig. After that, I think I worked at Subway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like a, draw, a huge um, uh, pay cut, but I did have like saved savings, and I balanced that with random clients that I get. So I worked on a animated uh, a commercial for some online business. And I delivers food. And then I did an animated short. I don't think I ever saw the light of day. A comic book, two kids' books. And I have never seen those, but I got paid for it. So, <laughs> so we're like, one day they'll be out. But if not, <laughs> I made enough to pay rent and eat. No, I did, right? But at the same time, I don't know why I'm not that bummed out that it never, that it's never been seen. I think that's the nature of the business, though. Because I've had situations like that as well, where I've done freelance projects and they never went anywhere, but I still got paid. So on the one hand, it's like, well, no one will ever see this, but this is the reason why I have my rent or I have my groceries or I got to get my car fixed. So that's true. I don't know. I guess it just depends. Yeah. No, anything. That's funny because you're like, you're looking at it as a means to end. I did for, I did remember I did got T-boned by a guy. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) It kind of messed up my back for a bit. I I didn't have any spinal injury or anything, but the insurance gave me like a couple of bucks (laughs) to cover, cover me for a short minute. It T-boned me like on the driver's side. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. He like ran a stop sign. It was pretty scary actually. That is horrifying. So our plan was we could try to get crowdfunding to, you know, once we got our project done. I'm jumping back into that. Uh, So, yeah, just finding a way to make ends meet to make art. I had kept running into this thing where, like, I would show my portfolio to people and it's like, you need to draw, like, these shows. And then I started manufacturing my portfolio to look like the places I want to get hired at. And I found myself really not liking it. Not that I'm unable to do it, it's just I found it really unenjoyable and I, I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to do something that I don't like for money, I might as well do something that's more secure. And so that's why we did this project as sort of a last ditch effort to try to capitalize on making art. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious too, what was it that led you to decide, let's form Nominous Animation, let's go out to Phoenix, let's just do it ourselves rather than pitching a show to the networks? Or did you guys do that as well and then decide, nope, we'd rather just form our own company and do our own thing? Okay, so yeah, when you pitch, it seems as though that they don't want you unless you've worked in the industry. Like, they don't want you as a showrunner unless you've worked in the industry for the better half of a decade. And uh, then it takes like a decade to get in. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, give or take. Some people get really lucky, but... You're taking it around to people and you're saying, hey, help me make my product. I need your money. And they make all the decisions. They say, you can't do it. Since the, the answer is probably no, it's like, well, who's stopping me from doing it myself? I don't need to take it to somebody else. All right. Good deal. So y'all move out to Phoenix. You know, you decide we're going to live out here. Cost of living's better. We're going to do this on our own. 
how did you do it? How did you form your own company? And how did you find the people you needed for your project? It's pretty simple. We have family out here, so it was easy to like make a transition. And they were like, hey, I just told them I'm doing this thing. We're trying to monetize it. We could do some help for a while. There was a uh, quality assurance company in Phoenix. So I just went out there, got that job, and then we moved out here. As far as getting the team, my wife went to Chapman University in Orange County, and she had known a sound designer, and he was willing to help us out for free. Uh, I met a composer in Los Angeles, and he helped us out. It was just by chance that we knew these people. And as far as the art goes, we just did all of it ourselves. It's kind of weird. I want to talk about that, too, because there's a lot of people accusing. They're like, hey, you want to do this for just 50000 And then saying that, like, we have, like, a bunch of slave labor, and we're, like, we're living off the back of animators and stuff like that. I worked really hard on this. This is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like you guys are making, you know, millions of dollars, we even but you're only money. giving little bits out to people. It's like, no, 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 that's not how this is operating. <laughs> yeah, so how we did it, the cost for having a business out in California is a lot because you have to pay like 800 a year for a, a business license. And out here in Arizona, you know, you pay like 60 bucks once and you get your LLC. Oh so my yeah. gosh. Yeah, California wow. just doesn't like you. <laughs> Whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> it's, it's like, how can we suck you dry of all your yeah, money? Yeah, oh my gosh, it's really hard. So that was, that's part of the re- that was part of the choices that just, uh, you don't get any um, tax breaks. You don't get any, they just don't help you. It's hard to make it happen out there. Yeah, so that's, that's really good. And also, how did you come up with the name? Oh boy, <laughs> you know what? That took a long time. Uh, we were frustrated. That was like that was the point of frustration that actually that name came out of. Because I remember the first time I heard "bad robot," I thought that was really cool, and it just became this trend to have like an adjective and a verb, or uh, like a adjective and noun. Sorry. So, anyways, yeah, that was it. It was like adjective noun, adjective noun. That was like all the studio names. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. How do we be innovative? I don't know if my wife completely made it, but it was her. She was just kind of joking around. And it's basically a uh, nom nom, like the onomatopoeia, like nom nom nom, <laughs> with <laughs> ominous. So it's, it's basically <laughs> ominous eating. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And that actually, that makes a lot of sense because having seen the short and having seen the logo and the little creature, that's yeah. like, rah, rah, rah. it's like, oh, okay, I totally yeah, get the it The name now. actually inspired the logo. So yeah, I, I think I, I thought it was so ridiculous and funny that I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to try anymore. This sounds kind of cool. Let's just go with it. Sounds good. All right, so let's get into it. So World Destroyer, it's a really cool trailer that y'all currently have right now on Vimeo. You have an Indiegogo campaign that is going as we speak. You've already raised almost five grand, which is very impressive. So what is the elevator pitch for World Destroyer? Okay, so the the pitch is it's, um, it's a story about two, a brother and a sister who get involved in sort of a a supernatural ordeal in which the main protagonist has to sort of like go on this journey to learn how to grow up and be able to like take care of others. That's sort of the armature of the story, but the outer conflict is this this sort of celestial battle that's going on between the creators of the earth and humanity. It's part of a bigger story. A lot of people were saying, hey, I want this to be a TV show. I uh, actually wanted it to be a movie series because I did want to keep going and going, and I honestly don't know how it's going to turn out. But I did have I do have the script written for the for the movie, and hopefully you don't see the end of these characters and the journey keeps going. How did you decide to make it a movie versus a television show? Because that's actually something that 
people struggle with sometimes trying to figure out, should this be a comic? Should this be a movie? Should this be a show? Like, how are you guys able to figure that out? Okay, so for me, there's a couple of things. Uh, One is it had to be animated because that's the only thing I'm going to operate in. I love it too much. So it's going to have to be TV or film. Why is it film? I, I want, to the best of our ability, try to make it full animation. And it seems like doing a film is the only way to be able to, like, monetize it in that way. Maybe I'm wrong. However, if it doesn't get made, there's multiple timelines within the universe that we created. And we have an idea for a show that we want to take from here if this movie doesn't get funded. So that's how. It was kind of simple. Very good. And then what inspired you to write this movie and to make this particular story? There's so many things. You know, it's me and my wife. So I guess we have different reasons. She told me, because she grew up watching anime and loved it so much, she said she saw Avatar, and that kind of gave, that last Airbender Avatar, (laughs) and uh, it kind of gave her an inspiration to, uh, she saw, like, Americans doing kind of an anime style, you know, and it's like, oh, I can do it too. (laughs) And that was, for her, a push to go in that direction. So creating her own show was something that was very important to her. And um, for me... I think there's a type of movie that I'm not seeing in animation that I would like to see. I'm really big into fantasy, and I love, like, dark fantasy and all kinds of weird, creepy, and enchanting things all at once. So not that that in itself is the driving force, because, you know, obviously the storytelling is more important, but that in itself is, like, spinally embedded into the storytelling, and that's important. So I guess in a way it's just that what I see... What I would like to see isn't being shown, so make it myself, I guess. That's a really good way to go about it, I think, because that's smart. It's like, well, this is what I want to see. I'm not seeing it, so I'll do it. So I'll just figure out a way to do it. (laughs) Yeah, that was the inspiration. There's a lot of other things, too. I mean, it's just life kind of like sends you in a weird direction. Any one thing could have happened. Like I could have gotten that. Let's say I ended up getting to work at DreamWorks. I'd have probably just stayed there as an animator, whatever, content. If that makes sense. And I think because things didn't work out in a fashion that I would have liked or in a a more life-sustaining way, I think I was pushed into going for it because I had nothing else. Does that make sense? That does make sense. It's one of those, well, my back's against the wall, so I could either just crumble or I could just take everything into my own hands and just figure it out. That's exactly what it is. So that's part of it, too. I think that's good, too, because I remember in school, everybody wanted to work for the big studios. You know, they wanted to work for Disney or DreamWorks or Pixar and whatnot. And that's perfectly fine. You know, if you want to work at a big studio, that's fine. But I think that people forget that there are a lot of people that aren't doing that and that have great careers. And they're working either for smaller studios or they're working for themselves. And that is a path you can take, but it's not a path that people necessarily talk about Mm -hmm. so it's good to hear of somebody that oh here's somebody that this is exactly what they're doing you know they're like taking a chance and they're making their own thing outside of the studio system yeah and hopefully um like you were talking about we're not making millions off of it actually haven't made anything off of it because the campaign was the only source of money that we're going to get because that was the plan um and the plan was to make something as Mm -hmm. quality as possible because as far as like animation pitches i've seen i haven't seen anyone actually make like animation to showcase and then get people convinced hey want to see more it's always a a, they pitch an idea and it's like hey if you give me money then i can create this 
Yeah. And I'm not knocking them because a lot of them already have selling power, like Don Bluth. It's like, well, I'm Don Bluth, you know? <laughs> it's like, take my money. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have like this track yeah. record of decades yeah. in a video game series. And it's like, right. okay. So I had to work you. hard convincing people. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have like internet presence. Well, I do now. And so um, I didn't have fans already. So it didn't, we, we got, we went viral, but it didn't translate into money. And it was kind of frustrating because the first like four hours we hit like 30,000 views. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it blew up all over Reddit, except I didn't know that. I had just, like, stepped away, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back and read everything. But, like, I guess I had been told, and I didn't realize, when you are popular, people hate you. Oh, no. <laughs> when I went into Reddit, I just walked into a, a cloud of just, this is crap, you suck, you know, who wrote this? It was, <laughs> it was just horrible. Like, I didn't see any compliments. There was a lot. I just happened to, like, walk into the worst the spot where it was just all hate. And I've noticed that with everyone, it's like 10% hate, 90%, you know, compliments, you know, give or take. And since we ended up hitting like 400,000 views, 10% of 400,000 is a lot. So I got a lot of hate and uh, I wasn't ready for that, to be honest. That's too bad. That's, I mean, that's, that's really too bad. But on the upside though, one, there are a lot of people that really like it. And two, you have to think, okay, some of these people might be 12. Yeah, <laughs> or they might be disgruntled people in their 20s, 30s, 40s who want to be in the industry and they're not mm. or they're suffering or whatever they're working on isn't working out. And so they're just lashing out because they're just not thinking straight, right. which doesn't make it OK. But I feel like you're doing something right if you're putting information out there and you're getting so many responses. It's like people are paying attention and you just have to push aside the people who are acting like fools and yeah. just figure out, okay, the people that do like it, here's what <laughs> they like. This is good. Yeah. Well, I, I have, I've started to train my mind to go in that direction, but it was just kind of hard effort. It was a backlash. Cause yeah. I didn't even think, I didn't think I was going to get that much attention to be honest. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking it. like, oh, maybe a couple hundred people might see it and say, Hey, this looks cool. And then that'd be the end of it. Well, yeah, that's what it usually seems like it ends up being. I was, especially someone that has no track record. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of used to the bad, uh, but some of the people who are actually, I don't know if they're trolling or intentionally going for the throat. There's a guy, someone posted, he's like, Hey, how do I contribute? Some guy just like posted, don't give this guy money. He's a scam artist. It's like, you don't even know me, man. Like <laughs> He just assumes it's a scam. It's like, wait a minute. No, he, why do you think this is a scam? He was following me. He had like message. He had messaged later on saying that like it was inefficiently animated and you know, I'm asking for too much. Oh, and the, oh, this is the other kicker because originally we were asking for 300,000. Okay. And we got contacted because it went viral by uh, Indiegogo and they're like, hey, you know, if you want to make it successful, you should hit like a lower goal and then they'll see percentage, you know, they'll see higher percentages and the people will be encouraged to keep, you know, donating. Okay. Or, uh, yeah. And so, so we did lower it and they went in and did that for us. So how did you decide to fund it through Indiegogo as opposed to like Kickstarter or getting like an animation grant or something like that? So uh, animation grants. We Do looked, those exist? <laughs> that, no, maybe that's no. another question. It's like, this, is that even a thing? <laughs> no, there is. I have looked at a lot of fl- uh, film grants uh, and there is, there's a lot of strings attached. Like, let's say they need the message to be humanitarian or it needs to be uh, like an LGBT like message or something like that. And, you know, all of a sudden, in order for me to like try to get one of those, I would have to change my script and then it ends up that's not what the script was supposed to be and it'll alter it in a way that 
you know, wasn't intended. Therefore, you know, screwing with, you know, I don't know. It's just, you, okay. you can't, you can't force like bricks into a building that's already been built. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'm going to end up with a bad plot. Yeah. And so it's kind of weird. I can't go for grants. Indiegogo seemed to be like the only thing. There's angel investors. So I should like make it a more of a pitch package in order to get to them. But right now it was just Indiegogo because that just seemed like the most viable. And it seemed like you can have a longer campaign, which I found out later that is not a good idea. Because all the people who pledge do it in the beginning or the end of the campaign. And if you have like a bigger gap, it's just a longer gap of no one, you know, pledging. Have they figured out like why most people pledge at the very beginning and the very end? Is there like a like an economic reason for that or like a statistic reason for that? I can only speculate, you know, maybe because of the zeitgeist of it. It's like, look at this new thing and then the novelty wears off. And then as it like comes to a close, people like it kind of reignites the interest because we're coming to the finish line. Let's finish this off. And that's just the way it works out. Okay. And how did you promote it? I mean, you mentioned Reddit, so obviously you let people on Reddit know that you were doing this campaign. How else did you promote what you guys were doing? Okay, yeah, so we had a, like a couple of plans to flood flood the internet with images and art about the film and do like animated GIFs, but it ended up just blowing up on its own. Like I literally just let go of the handle and it went off, so... The, that was a big surprise. Like a lot of the, we had a lot of plans to like reach out to every. I reached out to you. <laughs> uh, so thank you for responding. Um, I reached out to a lot of people. A lot of people kind of just they did respond. A lot of people like reposted stuff for me. A lot of people just uh, reposting. I'm not even asking them to. I'm just constantly seeing the like check out this awesome you know project. I'm like wow thanks guys. <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah. So, so a lot of people, there's a lot of positivity. See, you know, it's just when you make something and pour your heart into it, you kind of can't see it. You just see when that one person says something bad. Mm-hmm. You just like hone in yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear. I've heard before, I forget where I heard this, but for every one negative comment, you need to hear 10 positive comments. Oh. For it to like equal out in your own mind just for you to feel better which i I find that very sad because it's like ah just one person saying something terrible can like you know destroy your ego that much it's it's really sad to me and you know the internet as chris hardwick says is like a cesspool it's not always great which is really unfortunate because i feel like the whole point of it was to bring everybody together and instead it's like hey how can we bash each other that's a bummer but yeah that was the main reason but I think the good thing, because I, I don't know if it's going to actually work out. It doesn't look too hot at the moment. We did gain ourselves uh, a monetized YouTube account because of the the video going viral. Therefore, we're thinking about starting like a mini web series. Oh, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, but they always say like, don't do animation on YouTube because it's not viable. But I think I don't have a backup plan at the moment so i mean other than like taking a job as a you know like a cop or something well question who who's saying it's not viable is it people that have done animated shorts on youtube saying it's not viable or like youtube itself saying of, that or like a lot of who are the ones previous oh, like, really? YouTube animators because the, oh, okay. uh, before you would get paid by clicks or something or your numbers went up by clicks which put you at the top which keep giving you more clicks but mm-hmm. now it's like length watched and therefore the longer you watch it 
well, if your animation is hard to make five minutes, but all these, you have all these people doing Let's Plays for 20 minutes. So they're getting like people watching for 20 minutes straight or listening. And so they're getting the view length and not the animators. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, but I think it would be a good way to try to build an intellectual property and be able, probably be able to subsidize it by selling products or something. I don't know. We'll see. I can only guess from here on out. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about then what's going to happen in the future. So let's say, so if it was to get funded for the entire amount that y'all needed, then you'd be able to hire your team and continue on with the movie. If it doesn't get the amount that you needed, but it still has made some money, what do you think you guys will end up doing? Do you think you'll end up just going ahead and making it anyway, just on a smaller scale? Or do you think you'll do something different with the project? That's a good point. Uh, If we get, I think like 30,000 would be my cutoff point. In which case we're going to have to like dial a lot of things back. But yeah, we are going to refund if we're not comfortable with the amount of money that we get. And we're probably going to pull the switch maybe five days before because it'll be harder to mail individual people their money back. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we don't want like them saying, hey, you never gave us the money, blah, blah, blah. So it's easier to pull the kill switch and then let Indiegogo do it for us. We should have just went with the closed campaign, <laughs> the non-open-ended, whatever it's called. So... There was a lot of people getting really offended at the fact that we asked for 300000 And they're like, I can't believe this jerk wants 300000 to make a movie. And it's like, okay, first off, that's not that much to make a movie. Second off, I'm not asking you for 300000 <laughs> If you look at the smallest pledge, it's $3. <laughs> so can you give me $3? <laughs> it's not even gift. You're actually buying a product. So would you like to purchase my product for $3? Is it because they're not seeing... Now, I'm not super, super familiar with... I mean, let me backtrack. I'm familiar enough with Indiegogo. I have a friend who... She raised money on Indiegogo to send her short film to film festivals. And I know that Don Bluth was on Indiegogo when he was wanting to make Dragon's Lair into... I forget if he was going to turn it into a television show or a movie was his pitch. But is 300000 is that a typical amount for the type of project that you and your team are doing or or not? Okay, so that's just, we ran the numbers and I talked about this before on my own like update that personally I can put in $100 of work for every dollar put in because it's my project. I can work as late as I want. You know, I still have to take care of my kid and, you know, give my wife attention, vice versa. <laughs> yeah, but, make sure the family unit stays intact. Yeah, yeah, but as far as, like, my free time goes, I am I have control over what I can do, but I can't make somebody work more than what I'm paying them for. So that's one thing. One Another thing is complete control. We don't have people throwing out ideas because we did a test screening and it didn't work so good. So we just threw out, you know, three grand of work. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We lock the boards before we even continue forward. And that's, you know, we just do all those things. We live in a cheaper place, et cetera, et cetera. After we ran most of the numbers, I can't account for a lot of variables that I don't know about. What we kind of came to the conclusion is 300000 is what we could do it with. Okay. That's good to know because I found that, and this is unfortunate, but a lot of artists, they're afraid of contracts and they're afraid of talking about money which is very unfortunate because they're those those are two very important things that are never going away yeah so i'm glad to hear that and i'm sure y'all have done this already but it's really cool to hear about hey we actually 
made a budget, made a plan, figured it out. This is how it's going to work. Because I feel like anybody wanting to go off on your own, you need to do what you and your wife and the rest of your team are doing, which is figuring it out. Here's how we can do this and live. Right. There's actually a, an artist I really respect by the name of Jason Brubaker. Are you familiar? Oh, man, I love that guy. Oh. <laughs> you guys who don't know, Jason Brubaker, he came to L.A. He worked as a storyboard artist for six years. He worked in a myriad of other jobs. He worked at DreamWorks, all the while working on a graphic novel. He won a Xeric Grant. He made all these graphic novels. And now he left L.A. and now just does graphic novels full time. And he is awesome. He's like an inspiration for so many people. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I totally like... I have his book. Like, that guy is great. Have you met him before? So great. I have never met him in person. I've emailed him a few times, and he's emailed me back, and he's been very nice. Oh, yeah, he is. like, so nice. Yeah, I did barely knew him when I met him. I just went to Comic-Con and ran into him, and I thought his stuff looked kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I heard him in a podcast. I'm like, why not? And then he was, like, the coolest guy on the planet. Gave me, like, all the time. Yeah. The he didn't have to. He didn't know who the hell I was. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I was, like, the first time. Like, I love this man. But he's a really amazing artist, too. And... <laughs> Um, he's like inspired me. That's part of the reason I left is because he's like, Hey, you want to sustain yourself? Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, unless you want to work in the studios, then it's different. Yeah. Which is fine too. I mean, I feel like everybody's got their own path, but what I love most about everything he says is that if you want to make a thing, make a thing. Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh. Figure out, but you have to have a plan. So figure out what your game plan is and then just go and do it. And then just work the plan accordingly and, you know, make tweaks as you need to until your project is done. And then when it's done, go and make something else. Like, that's essentially it. I mean, that's boiled down to its essence. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things you have to do and spreadsheets and time and money and things you have to figure (laughs) out. But just go and make it. Don't just sit around and complain. Just make a thing. Um, Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So basically, I just wanted to know more about like how you chose Indiegogo, which you answered, so thank you, okay. and how you got your crew, which is really smart. Ask your friends. Okay. Say, hey, I have this project. Is this of interest to you? Would you want to work on something like this? And just timetable. So okay, it sounds like y'all are being really flexible, too, which is good, because I know some people would be more like, no, if it's not like this, then it's dead. And with you guys, it sounds like, no, we want it to be this, but if it's not this... I think life, we'll try this. life taught me that, actually. I didn't even realize I was doing it <laughs> until you pointed it out. Um, but yeah, also, uh, I mentioned my composer, my sound designer. I forgot to mention, we also hired actors. So we did pay them. But, you know, that session was really short. We were asking a lot of the other two. Not that uh, Katie and uh, Mike, they did a great job. But it's it's easy to pay someone for like a couple of hours versus a week of work. How did you choose your actors? We ran into Katie at a uh, film festival that my f- wife's uh, student film got into, and she had made. She was an actress in one of the films there, and she was just at the reception. And we started talking to her. I liked her movie. I liked the movie that she was in, and we exchanged business cards. And then we contacted her later once we heard her reel. We we're like, "Oh, we need this person." And then she suggested us to uh, Max. Max is his name. Max Middleman. He's the uh, the voice of. Uh, Saitama on One Punch Man. He does a lot of anime dubs, uh, but she introduced us. So it was just a a, connect, a chain reaction. That's kind of how a lot of things have happened. That's how I've gotten jobs and so on and so forth. Very good. All right. So I'm curious now, 
What are some, I mean, you mentioned going viral, which is a surprise, and then positive comments and then negative comments, which were kind of unexpected, and then, you know, contacting Indiegogo and them giving you good advice. What are some other unexpected highs and lows that have come from y'all forming your own company and now working on World Destroyer? I think the lows is uh, right now we're not monetizing it. But now we're at the point where we're able to. It's just, it's kind of like going to war. You know, my dad was in the Marines for 20 years. I mentioned that earlier. He talked about, like, the way they train. They push you to, like, absolute fatigue. The way it goes is, that's the point of that is because you have to, like, carry all of your gear to a peak or over a hill. Then once you get there, which would normally beat someone up and cause you to, like, collapse, then you have to fight. (laughs) Oh jeez! <laughs> and so that's the that's kind of where I'm at. It's like we climbed the hill. We're we're like under a bunch of like extra weight. You know, it's been really hard. It, we're under like extreme weather conditions. Now we can make money. <laughs> now we're at that point where we can make money. It's like okay, well, mm-hmm. how do you make money? I have to keep doing it. So so I got to the top of the hill. That's where I'm at. I I need to just keep fighting. Now I've garnered a large fan base. Now I can start continue making cartoons, and then hopefully that will start changing the picture yeah that sounds good and also i had a few other questions what's some advice that you have for others who want to do what you're doing who want to either create their own company or create their own short or actually you know just go off and make their own movie i don't know what advice to to give to be honest um other than just do it and make a plan Uh, be able to support yourself and if you're young and you have somebody paying the bills for you Take advantage of that. Don't let that opportunity pass you because that's a godsend. A lot of people look for funding or vice versa. Maybe you're old and you're getting a retirement check from the city because you worked as a police officer or something for 20 years and now you're getting that income in. That's your means to an end. And be a good business person. Learn how to capitalize on what you're doing because if you can't make money, you're not going to be able to sustain what you're doing. And if you decide one day that you don't like it and it's not worth the investment of time and effort, stop doing it. I know that sounds bad, but <laughs> I don't think that sounds bad. I think that's good for people to know. I, I think it's like the law of diminishing returns or something like that, where people keep working at something, even when it's not bringing in what they wanted it to bring in either yeah. money or time because they've invest sunk cost. That's what it is. You just keep putting more and more into something that you don't enjoy doing or that's not working. Right because you've already put so much time and effort into it. So you just keep sinking even more time and effort into it. And at some point you need to just say, no, I don't want to do this. And then just stop and like go a different direction. Yeah. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. That's the reason why I'm in animation because (laughs) I, yeah, I worked for seven years in publishing Okay. and I was, you know, I was working in publishing. I was an editor at a publishing company and then I was a writer and editor at another company and I did, writing and editing and SEO for another company. And I just thought, this stinks. I don't like what I'm doing. And I started volunteering at, what was it? Women in Animation. And I started volunteering at the Cartoon Art Museum when I lived in New York. And then when I lived in Denver, I was hanging out with artists all the time. And they all enjoyed their lives. Even if they were working for studios or on projects they didn't like, they still liked animation and they still liked cartoons. 
and I still liked cartoons and I was staying up really late watching Adult <laughs> Swim and teaching myself Photoshop. Like I would stay up till like 3 a.m. Okay. And I thought, you know what? When I'm around animators and comic book artists, I'm having a really good time. And then when I go to work, I'm really miserable. This should be reversed. <laughs> I should be working in cartoons rather than working in publishing. And it took a long time. It took me about 10 years to be able to make the switch due to the economy and different things going on and me needing to go back to school and whatnot. But yeah, but that's why I'm working in the industry now because I didn't like what I was doing. And sometimes it's kind of weird because, you know, I'm like a decade older than most of the people that I'm working with, but they're all really cool people and they don't care. Yeah. So I don't care. So I'm like, <laughs> well, hey, we're all here and we like our lives now. So let's do it. So yeah, so I salute you guys. It's like you decided, you know, we can do this ourselves, so we'll figure it out how to do this ourselves. Yeah, that's really cool. I guess you had a similar experience in that the people you had to exist with were not it was hard to coexist with. Yeah, and some of the people I worked with before, I mean, they were they were great people. Like I worked with some really nice people in publishing. Yeah, I just. I did not like publishing. Oh, okay. Thought, you know, it's like, I don't like what I'm doing, and I'm doing this every day. Why am I doing this every day? Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and I would meet other people that had been in the industry for, you know, decades, and they didn't like what they were doing either, but yeah. they didn't want to just up and change because okay. change is difficult, and you have to, a lot of times, you know, like you said, like you were living in, you know, behind a business past a bunch of shrubs. Like I've lived in some weird apartment complex, you know, it's right. like I've lived in weird apartment complexes and have old cars and went a really long time eating like ramen and crackers and yeah. various TV dinners. And, you know, wasn't taking fabulous vacations, but now I have a job I really like. So there's a lot of sacrifice involved. And a lot of times people kind of look at the sacrifice and they don't want to do it, but it's, it's worth it for something that you can get out of bed every day and you want to get up and you want to go to work that's a really good feeling that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah oh and i saw too you guys have a podcast oh yeah we do <laughs> i don't think i want to continue it but thanks for mentioning it yeah it's on our, yeah no problem I, it's on our nominous youtube page and it's all mm -hmm. we have a soundcloud account but i didn't renew it because it's kind of pricey paying for it every month but I think you actually started your, or you published your podcast while I was like on my third episode. Oh, cool. And when I heard you, I was like, man, this girl is like articulate and awesome. And I sound like a mumbling idiot and I can't even oh, enunciate. No. No, I, was just, I was like, nah. And it, on, on top of it all, you're like really prolific. So it's like episode, episode, episode. I'm like, no. And, like, and then I was like, whatever. I'm going to put out what I got. And you know, if it goes good, I'll keep doing it. But I think I kind of lost inspiration, not because of being juxtaposed against somebody really awesome. Oh, <laughs> by the way, shortly after, uh, was it the Animation Network? Yeah, 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 Chris's podcast. But yeah, Chris uh, released his podcast, I think, relatively around the time you did, right? Yeah, he started... Uh, when did he start his? A couple of months before? Okay, so you know. <laughs> or like, yeah, because he had started his, and then Cassie had started hers, and then I met both of them at a convention, Okay, and they were super cool. And yeah, I remember just asking guy. Chris, and I just said, okay, you're doing exactly what I want to be doing. How are you doing what you're doing? And he was super nice. He was like, oh, yeah, just, you know, do this or do this or do this. And so he was really helpful. Oh, that's really cool. 
It's yeah, that's, well, that's the cool it. thing is like, because with the exception of uh, Rubber Onion, who are also cool, but they're off in New York. Yeah. Most of the people in animation who do podcasts are all here in town. Right. And so all of us have met each other. <laughs> Because everybody goes to the same conventions and the same events. That's true. And knows all the same people. Because as you know, the industry is a, is like tiny. Yeah, it is. So you end up just meeting every single person. Right. So, and it, it's cool because they all offer like different things. Like his is really awesome because it's like television and Cassie's is all women and mine is like TV and film and games. And so it's like something for everybody. Right on, right on. Well, I like your podcast, by the way. I'm, oh, I'm thank you. I'm, I'm glad you did. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you for giving a, a plug there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Anthony, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. It was a lot of fun talking to you, and I'm really impressed by your moxie and your can-do and never-say-die spirit because I think a lot of people might have quit, and you were like, nope, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to make you know this work, and I'm going to do what I have a dream to do. So that's really cool. Well, thank you, Angela. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> And that concludes my interview with Anthony Gardia. Special thanks to Anthony for being a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out all of the links to World Destroyer in the show notes, as well as at theanimatedjourney.com. And if you've enjoyed today's interview, please leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com clicking on the PayPal button on the right-hand side and leaving a donation. All of your donations help me to pay for the technical costs associated with running the podcast. And make sure to support all of our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on the banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And we mentioned the Frank and Ollie documentary, which is currently available on Amazon. So if you click on the Amazon banner and type in Frank and Ollie DVD in the search bar, that will be the very first film that comes up. I highly recommend it. It's a really good documentary, and it's a lot of fun to see the two masters at work. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can check out my website at sketchysoul.com. And on Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. And to check out what Jeff has been up to lately, you can visit his website at www.jeffbot.com. That's J-E-F-B-O-T. To see his storyboard portfolio site, you can visit jeffbot.carbonmade.com. On Twitter and Tumblr, the handle is at jeffbot. And on Instagram, the handle is at shootzy. And that's S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. So until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.